Today's sermon text comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 34 through 47. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were, be, were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word. We've been in Acts 2 a lot lately, huh? Um, how are you doing this morning? Great. My name is Ron Surgeon. I'm one of the elders here. It's my privilege to bring the word of God to you today. All right. Let's go before our king. Father, we come before you today just asking for um, great grace um, for Scott's church today as they gather. Great grace will fall upon them. Holy Spirit, fall on them afresh today. Come, Holy Spirit, and just fall on them afresh today. And furthermore, I ask that you would do that for us. Smear us with yourself today. Anoint us with yourself today. Just fall afresh on all of us. Breathe on us. We love you, we appreciate you, we anticipate your work. Amen. Amen. And so um, I have a few points today that I would like to talk through, and some of it toward the end will become participatory. So my first point today is the power of symbols, the power of symbols. Today's sermon title is a symbol of hope, colon, baptism. A symbol of hope, colon, baptism. So the first point today is a, the power of symbols. And my second point today is a theology of baptisms. Um, and instead of just going through all these points right now, we'll just progress. We'll, I'll just mention those as we progress through the sermon this morning. Uh, but I believe I have four points. 
All right. Um, so what is a symbol? Um, a symbol is a shape or a sign used to represent an object, a concept, a function, or a process. And we use symbols each and every day. And symbols help us to communicate ideas. Symbols help us to communicate thoughts and feelings. You think about the emoji, right? You use emojis in your text messages. You know, symbols help us communicate thoughts, feelings, ideas, and other facets of reality. We use symbols all the time. And furthermore, symbols help to embody realities that are otherwise difficult to convey. Symbols help to embody realities that are otherwise difficult to convey. And symbols are essential for human dialogue. Think about waving of the hand. Symbols are essential for human dialogue. Isn't it weird? You just, you wave your hand and you know what I mean, right? Hello? <laughs> Goodbye? Stop! Symbols are essential for human dialogue. Not only that, symbols are essential for human being. Because we ourselves are symbols of the ultimate reality, which is God. We, you and I, are symbols of the ultimate reality, which is God. And he tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, that we ourselves were made in the image and the likeness of God. You are God's means of conveying himself. God's symbol. The big stories of our world can be told concisely through symbols. Big stories. You think about Beginning with the story of Israel, the phylacteries. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8, God told them to, to take the commands and put them in a little box and wrap them around their arms and around their heads as a sign of remembering to keep his commands. Symbols. Helps to communicate the big stories of our world. And I want to show some other symbols. As I, as I show these symbols, I want you to think through, uh, feel, just feel today. You look at these symbols and just feel because they tell stories. Think about the peace sign. Just feel. What about the, the swastika? Just feel today. Symbols help us communicate the big stories of our world. What about the rainbow? Wedding bands. The Confederate flag. The big stories of our world. Birthday cake. Christmas trees, the Apple logo, big stores of our world, bread and wine, baptism, symbols are powerful. 
And Jesus has invited us into cooperating with him in telling the big story of our deliverance from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He has invited us to tell that big story through the powerful symbol of baptism. Baptism makes the bold claim that the time has come, the kingdom of God has arrived, and that we should turn from living for ourselves and live for him. That's what it proclaims. So now let's take a little moment and talk about a theology of baptism. A theology of baptism, point two. Now, I cannot say all that I could say on this topic. But I will say a few things. I probably should say, I will not say all that I could say on this topic. Because I can, but I won't this morning. Uh, But I will say a few things. Immersion, baptism, is a testimony that one has heard and believed that God's kingdom has finally arrived. And through relying on Jesus, one has entered into that kingdom. That's how you get in. You get into the kingdom through relying on Jesus. Immersed into a new reality. And this person who has entered into the kingdom through relying on Jesus has found the treasure. They found the treasure. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a person who has found a treasure in the field. And in his joy, he goes and sells it all. He sells everything that he has and he buys that field. That's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what the kingdom of Jesus is like. Abandonment because you found something that surpasses the worth of all things you've ever known. And so baptism says that one has transitioned out of the satanic authority into radical submission to Jesus. One has transitioned out of that into radical submission to Jesus, the world's rightful king. Also, baptism is a picture of the new exodus. The new exodus. Out of death, out of darkness, into a resurrected life, generated, empowered, mobilized by and adapted to the Holy Spirit. It is a new exodus out of darkness, out of death, into a resurrected life, empowered by, generated by, mobilized by, and adapted to the Spirit of God. Baptism. Just as Israel was saved slash rescued out of bondage to Egypt, out of bondage from Egypt, follow me now. Israel was rescued, saved, delivered out of bondage in Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea into a new identity with God. Even so, we have been past tense. We have to learn how to live in the past. 
Not our past, but Jesus' past. We, past tense, have been rescued, delivered out of bondage to sin through the waters of baptism into a new resurrected life with God. It's a picture of a new exodus out of bondage into life, into life with him. But remember, Pharaoh and all his armies were left where? In the sea. Pharaoh and all his armies were laid to rest in the sea. They were buried there in the waters. Even so, our old sinful natures were laid to rest in the waters of baptism. It is a death. A death for sin and a life for you. It is a death. So the sins, this old sinful nature, Jesus wants us to see that the big story that he is telling is that it is, has been laid to rest. It has been buried there. And we have been raised to be with him. Paul says it like this. Paul was speaking to um, a community of baptized believers in Rome. And he says this. This is my paraphrase. He says, we are those who have died to sin. When we were immersed, we died the death that Jesus died. When we were united, we... We were united with him and buried in order that just as the king was raised from the dead through the, through the father's power, we too, through the father's power, may live a new life like the one Jesus is living. Because if we have been united, buried with him, parentheses, in baptism, in death, like his, we certainly also will be united with him in a resurrection like his. Like his. Isn't that good? It's Romans 6, 2 through 5. Baptism is beautiful and Jesus wants us to see it like that. Baptism is a symbol of hope that our lives will echo beyond the threshold of death. Baptism is a symbol of hope that our lives will echo beyond the threshold of death. Death will not have the last word. Will not. Turn to one of your brothers and sisters and say, say, say to each other, death will not have the last word. It will not have the last word. Cancer will not have the last word. Multiple sclerosis will not have the last word. 
Arthritis will not have the last word. Fatigue will not have the last word. You will rise again. You will rise. And you will be a new physically embodied person. Death will not have the last word. And that's what Jesus wants to convey through baptism. You will rise again. You will rise again. Death would be defeated. Would be defeated. And that's the story that baptism tells. Point three, identity and implications of baptism. Identity and implications of baptism. We have already covered a few implications of baptism, but we will look at a few more. From Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 47. Now expect some overlap between the two, identity and implications. Expect a little overlap. And just open your Bibles because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna play around in here for a little bit. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 47. Now, in verse 38, verse 38 of Acts chapter 2, Peter, Peter tells his Jewish brothers to repent and be baptized. Question. Where did Peter get the authority to call people to repent and be baptized? Jesus. But we have to ask this question because it has great emphasis for us as 21st century followers of Jesus. Great emphasis for us. Now, I want to look in John chapter 4 verse 1. Right quick. John chapter 4 verse 1. It has great relevance for verse 38 in chapter 2 we just looked at. John chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Verse 2. Although, in fact, It was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Why did Jesus delegate the responsibility? Why did he delegate the responsibility? And I believe that Jesus wanted to impart identity. Peter, you're a baptizer. And that's your identity as well. He delegates the responsibility. He could have did it all himself. But he didn't. He oversaw it. They did it. Because Jesus, he knew he was leaving. He wants to impart identity. And this is your identity as well. 
Jesus' disciples were making disciples before the Great Commission was ever given. And so in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he's commanding them to live out their identity. You're a baptizer. Now, let's show the, the diagram of the Great Commission diagram. Now, that's really tacky, right? I did that. <laughs> that's when you know you don't you don't know how to use pages really well, you know. So you just draw it out on a index card. You take a picture, and voila! Mm-hmm. It makes me think about. I've been reading through the Bible this year, reading Exodus, and um, you know the situation. It's a sad sidebar, but the situation when. Um, Moses had went up on the mountain. He was gone a long time. And then they made the, the golden calf. And Aaron made the golden calf, right? And he took, took, took everyone's gold and, put, and made this golden calf. And they began to worship it. And then Moses comes down. He's, he's going off. And Aaron says, man, I don't know what happened. He's like, all I did was put the gold in the furnace. And this came out. <laughs> This came out, yeah. Um, The Bible. Okay. And so in in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, Jesus says, Go therefore, go in all authority in heaven and on earth is mine, right? Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And look, I'm going to be with you every step of the way, right? So... Uh, there's only one command in the original language within that text, and the command is make disciples. And the question is, well, how do you do it? How do you do it? You do it by as you're going, through baptizing and teaching others to obey all that Jesus commanded. That's how you do it. And so here's the logic. If, if you can't baptize, then you can't make disciples. If you, if you can't go, then you can't make disciples. If you can't teach others to obey all that Jesus has commanded, then you can't make disciples. And there are many, there are many churches who would say, tell you that we don't want you baptizing. Well, how am I going to do this? If I can't do that, I can't do this. It's not either or, it's both and. It's both and. And Jesus wants to impart identity, brothers, sisters. He tells them, go and be who you are. You're baptizers, all of you. Baptism conveys immersion into an interactive relationship with God. He says, baptize them in the name in the reality. You can go in the waters and not be baptized into the reality of an interactive relationship with God. But God wants us to be in, immersed into who he is. Not just the waters. The waters are important. But to be immersed into who he is. That he is the God who is with you. And his Trinitarian self, Father, Son, and Spirit. All that God is... It's with you. That's your reality now. That's how you live. No matter where you are or where you go, he's there 
This is an interactive relationship that would be unbroken from now until, until. Also, baptism indicates a new way of seeing the self and a new way of seeing the world. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus, he, he goes to the river Jordan, right? John the Baptist, his cousin, is there. He's baptizing many people. And Jesus says, it's my turn. And he goes down into the waters and he comes up and he hears something. He hears a voice. And the voice says to him, you are my beloved son. And I'm so happy with you. You're my son and I'm so happy with you. Baptism indicates a new way of viewing the self. That's God's statement over your life. And notice, he received this, he received this affirmation from the Father before he ever preached a sermon, before he ever made a single disciple. He didn't receive this affirmation because of anything he did. You're my son. I love you. And from that identity, you can go out into the world on your mission. Baptism indicates a new way of viewing the self. Furthermore, a new way of viewing the world. In chapter 4, verse 1, after Jesus is is baptized, what happens? He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was never unled. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Spirit didn't leave once he got there. That's a new way of viewing the world. It's a with me God life. It's a with me God kind of life. No matter what kind of wilderness you enter into, the Spirit is with you. God is with you. And he went into the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit facing temptations. Not alone. Not alone. A new way of viewing the self, a new way of viewing the world. A God with me kind of life. The world is a wilderness. And everywhere you go go within this wilderness, he's with you. You can count on it. A God with me kind of life. And so in that, you come to know the pleasure of the Father. In his affirming words over your life, you're my beloved daughter. You're my beloved son. I'm very happy with you because you're in him. You come to know the pleasure of the Father. And you also come to know... What baptism is conveying, you come to know the fellowship and friendship of the Spirit of Jesus. You come to know that that no matter where you go in life, that you're able, you're able to do and, 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 and to succeed, succeed in all that he sets before your path. Here's, here's another little sidebar. Um, this kind of has something to do with what we're talking about. 
But in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes through various temptations, right? In the power of the Spirit, in the wilderness. And he comes upon a, a particular temptation where Satan says, Worship me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Because at this moment, they're in my power. And Jesus says, no, I I won't do that because it is written you should worship the Lord your God and you serve him only. Is it a temptation if you don't want something? If there's something that you don't want, is that a temptation for you? No. If you don't like beats and I give you a beat, you know, people shaking their heads. No, I don't like beats. Uh, but that's not a temptation for you, right? But if you like chocolate-covered strawberries, and I give you that, you know, that may function as a temptation, especially if you're on the Whole30 or Weight Watchers or something, you know. But that was a temptation for him. But the Spirit empowered him for delayed gratification. Because at the end, what happens? He rises from the dead and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. God has a plan for gratifying you. He has a plan for that. But we have to hold out. In the moments of temptation, we have to hold out and trust that the spirit will Hold me fast until the day when God will bring me the gratification that I'm so longing for. All right. So you come to know the powerful friendship of the Spirit. Now let's take another look in um, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 47. Now, it says... Uh, in verse 41, who, who was baptized in verse 41? S- say it again. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Incredible. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Now, it does not say that those who went through a probationary period to see if they were truly believers were baptized. It doesn't say that. It does not say that those who were able to articulate the gospel were baptized. It does not say that those who were mature in their faith were baptized. We live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What does it say? Those who accepted his message, his word, his word about Jesus dying and rising again from the grave, they were immersed. Baptism is not about being mature in your faith. It's about being sure. Are you sure this morning? It's not about being mature. It's about being sure. I want to follow him. 
I want to go where he's going. I don't know where that is, but I want it. Furthermore, this helps us in our definition of what church is. The church is a community of baptized believers gathered to obey all that Jesus commanded. A church is a community of baptized believers gathered to obey all that Jesus commanded. That's a simple, bare-bones definition of church. A simple, bare-bones definition of church. Now, let's, let's look around in this text. Okay, so... Acts chapter 2, 37 through 47, it says, people repented and believed, right? In verse 41, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to that number. How were they added? They, were, they repented and they were baptized. They knew who was in, they knew who was out. They knew who was a part of their community, they knew who were not. They knew who were a part of their community and they knew who, were, who weren't. 3,000 came to faith and were added to their number that day through repentance and through the waters of baptism. Now, in verse 47, look down there. So we see what happens, right? They began to fellowship together. They're praying together. They're eating together. They're practicing the Lord's Supper. All of these um, identifying pieces of a community, healthy community of Christ are being exhibited. And then in verse 47, it says that these people are just so full of joy, they're glorifying God, they're praising God. And what else does the text say? Okay, the Lord added to their number. Based on verse 41, how were they added? Don't be scared. Use the text. What does the text say? They, yes, the way they were added in verse 41 cannot be different from the way they were added in verse 47. The community of Jesus is a baptizing community. They. Isn't that something? This is, this is about identity. Jesus died so that you can do this. It's incredible. Now, let's move up the text a little bit. Verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Who are they? Amen. 
Those who were added, those who repented and were baptized, they are the they in this passage. Now, notice that it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking the bread and prayer. Now, um, devotion, another word you can use for that is covenant. Devotion is key to identity as church. We have to be committed to one another. We have to be committed to God's word. We have to be committed to fellowshipping together. We have to be committed to prayer, devoted to um, the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. We have to be devoted to these things. Now, I said that church is a community of baptized believers gathered together to obey all that Jesus commanded. Question, did Jesus command repent and believe? Did he command that? Yes, he did. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He went about proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, calling people to repent and to believe that this was really good news. Did he command people to be baptized? Matthew 28, 19. What about the Lord's Supper, them breaking bread together? Did he command that? Yes, he did. Luke 22, 19 through 20. What about prayer? Matthew chapter 6. What about giving? Because they were giving to one another, right? They're sharing their stuff. What about that? Luke chapter 6, 38. Giving and be given to you, huh? What about love? Did he command love as they're fellowshipping together? They're loving each other. Did he command us to do that? Love one another? And we see that they're advancing the kingdom. That people are being added daily and this kingdom is multiplying and spreading. Did he command that? Yes, Matthew 28 again. A community of baptized believers gathered to obey all that Jesus commanded. They were able to live this way because of the apostles' instruction. They were just doing, living out the identity that Jesus had impressed upon their lives in community, in the context of community. It's amazing, huh? So remember that as you gather together in your CGs or SGs or, you know, whatever Howard wanted to call them the other day. Remember that. Remember all of these, these precious ingredients. All right. Last point. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Hopefully into the waters of baptism. Now, for this last point, I just want to tell you a simple story, and we'll ask some questions, and this will be participatory, so play my game. <laughs> All right. Um, so Acts chapter 8, you can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. And uh, I'm just going to retell the story, but you can follow along as in your Bibles. Uh, so don't expect me. I'm not quoting. <laughs> this is me just retelling this story in my own words. Um, but you can follow along in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. And so Philip, who was a part of the worshiping community in Acts chapter 2, he hears... Um, the spirit tell him um, to go to this particular road. And so he gets down to this particular road and um, 
he sees this Ethiopian man in a, in a chariot and he feels the injunction from the Lord to go and approach this guy and see what he's up to. So he goes and he runs. He's running alongside this chariot and he sees this guy and he says, hey man, what are you doing? He's like, man, I'm reading this book from this prophet named Isaiah and I'm stuck. He's like, it's something about some sheep being slaughtered and some sins being cast upon somebody. And I just really don't know what's going on here. Is he talking about himself or somebody else? And Philip says, man, I know that story so good. If you let me in that chariot, man, we can walk through this together. God's like, come on in here. So he gets up in the chariot and he sits down with him. And from that passage, he begins to explain who Jesus is and what Jesus had accomplished. And the guy is like getting his socks blown off. And so as they're going along, um, the guy was like, bro, stop, stop the chariot. That's water. He's like, what, what's going on? He said, I want to be baptized. He's like, what? Right here? He said, yeah, man, in the lake. Let's, let's do this. He said, oh, you don't have a change of clothes. I don't care. So he gets down. And they get down into this water, and, and Philip's like, man, we can do this if you're if you fully committed. If you're all in, we can make this happen today. He's like, I'm in. So like, I truly believe in Jesus. And so he grabs him, and Philip goes down into the water with this guy, and then they bounce up out of the water, and Philip vanishes. He's like, what the crap? <laughs> He's like... Well, praise God, you know. (laughs) And then he goes back to Ethiopia and the movement begins. Now, what do you learn about God in this story? What? God sends people. Yes, he does. I heard something else, a little whisper. Ma'am, he speaks. God speaks. He sends people. He speaks. What, do you, what else do you learn about God in this story? He provides. He provides water. <laughs> opportunity. God provides opportunity. Yes, to baptize. What else? What else do you learn about God in this story? He prepares people's hearts. He can make. He can do some incredible things, right? God prepares people's hearts. He, he, he can make people vanish. Okay. He redeems people of all nations, right? That's beautiful. What do you learn about the people in this story? They're hungry. Philip obeyed. That was a deep voice. Where did it come from? All right. <laughs> Philip obeyed. I like that. Philip obeyed. Um, what else do you learn about the people in this story? Yep, needed. A teacher is needed. A teacher is needed. Anything else you learn about the people in this story? They at yep. The Ethiopian eunuch asked questions. Anything else? Right. He was welcome. Anything else from the back? Anything you learn about the people in this story? Yeah. 
Right. Brand new, folks. Okay. Um, anything else before we move on? God's looking for someone willing. Good. Broken. Huh? Yeah, the eunuch. Right. You know, if you were a eunuch, you'd be hungry for something good news too. Some good news too. Okay. <laughs> That's for the grown people. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> who did the baptism? Who, who did the baptism in this story? Philip. Philip did the baptism in this story. All right. Who was baptized? The eunuch. Why was he baptized? Yeah, he believed the message. All right. Where did he get baptized? The text says wherever there's water, right? (laughs) All right. When did he get baptized? Immediately. Hmm. Immediately. If you read through the New Testament and you track every baptism story, that's always the pattern. Always. Only exception, Acts chapter 9. Paul fasted three days before his baptism. That's the longest period that you see. Incredible. All right, so immediately, last question, I think. Uh, Is there an example to follow in this story for you? Shoot me, son. Don't shoot me. What do you got? Okay. Yeah, an example for you. Personal example. Don't be scared. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah, he ran. He ran. Yeah. Hmm? Be ready. Be ready. All right. So as we come to a close, I want to show um, the second baptism photo. I want to pull that up. Um, some of you may know my friend Zach Metlock. He's a guy that I work with a whole lot within this city. Um, Zach was leading um, a discovery Bible study, just like I led you guys through, with some community of people um, in Nutbush um, at Leewood Baptist. Now, the big guy here, his name is Dionysus. So Zach's been training him. Dionysus, and so he was helping Dionysus facilitate this same study with a group of people. And this guy here on the on the my left here, uh, after he finished, is there's an example to follow. He said, "I know what I need to do." He's already a believer. He said, "I know what I need to do." And they were like, "What's that?" He said, "Be baptized." And he said, "When?" He said, "Tonight." So they went and found a pool, and he was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Immediate obedience. 
immediate obedience. What is God calling you to? How will you respond to this message today? And the, implica- the applications and implications are different from, for each and every one of us. But what is God impressing upon your heart today?